Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So children, you need to plug your ears this morning. If you can't do that, you need to know, as I share this illustration, that your pastor is definitely not perfect. We are anticipating what? We've heard the children already tell us in the message this morning. Snow. The winter apocalypse that is going to charge through the Mid-South. It's coming in a matter of hours. And I have to tell you, as a grown adult, I'm a little excited. Um, I know that people who were raised in the North typically don't like winter weather, but as a Southerner, I still get a little excited when the weathermen on TV get excited and they start pointing to the map and you see images of snowflakes. It's it's a great thing in my home. When, When I was a child, I was more excited, truly. And it seems like it snows more now than it did when I was little. I don't know if there's any scientific fact to that, but it's what it seems to me. And I remember on two occasions that I had homework. One was a science project. And I knew that it was going to snow, that it was going to be in the morning a winter tundra and that I didn't need to do my science project. This is why I want the children to cover their ears. I didn't say anything to my parents. And I went to bed fully confident that we would not be in school for several days and I would have time to do this science project. I woke up at 1 in the morning, no snow. I woke up at 3 in the morning, no snow. And then I woke up at 6.30 to get ready for school, and guess what? No snow. I have, yeah, I got in trouble fairly often in my childhood, but that was really way up there on the scale of brewer punishment. I, I was, it was not good. Well, a couple years later, same thing. And the weatherman was so confident that it was going to snow that I decided, I didn't learn my lesson, that I was not going to do my homework. Because I was going to wake up in the morning and sled and build a snowman and play with my friends and we would have snowball fights. And for whatever reason, God in His providence moved to that storm about an hour north of my hometown. No snow. Not a drop. And I had not done my homework. You thought I would have learned the lesson the first time. But I didn't. I just want you to know that in light of tomorrow, I have done all my homework. I'm good. That that childhood anticipation. I mean, I'm going to go home. I believe one of the children said, putting sugar on your doorstep I love that. I'm going to go home and do that because I am anticipating this snow. I am excited to see this snow, but I know 
based on my childhood, that sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't deliver. Sometimes the famous weatherman in Alabama by the name of James Spann is wrong. It's just the truth sometimes. And as I was looking at Zechariah chapter 10 last week and this week, you see a prediction. The Lord is saying that something is coming, that something is happening, and that it's going to be true. God is telling His people through the prophecies of Zechariah in chapter 10, in particular verses 6-12, through that a greater exodus is going to happen for the people of God. And because the one who is three times holy is speaking, you can know this is not a weatherman making a guess. It's not a child wishing God is telling Israel, you need to know for a fact, you need to believe that I am going to do this for you. I am going to bring about the kingdom of God. Count on it. So there are three things that I want us to look at this morning. They all begin with a promise. The promise of the covenant, the promise of protection, and the promise of prosperity. So let's talk about the covenant promises of God. I want you to look in order. Verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. Now, I often get asked the question, as a pastor, as a Presbyterian minister... What do people ask you the most? And it's honestly two things. One is predestination. And I would love to be able to talk about that that this morning in light of the fact that we're often called the frozen chosen and it is freezing outside. But it's not part of my message. The other thing that I am asked on a regular basis is about infant baptism. Why do you do that? Why is that a part of your theological tradition? Where do you see that in Scripture? Why do you practice such a thing? And as I was working my way through the text, and in particular 7, 8, and 9, you see the significance of the covenant promise in the Old Testament. And so I want us to think about that this morning. So look at verse 7. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Notice this. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. So God is saying, not only Will I do great things for you? I am going to do great things for your children. And then look at verse 8. I will whistle for them and gather them in. For I have redeemed them and they shall be as many as they were before. In verse 8 we see the sovereignty of God in terms of salvation. He does all the work. I will be the one who will whistle 
for them. Like a shepherd calling his sheep. I will bring them in. I will call them to myself. As Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. This is often counter to many theological traditions in our culture which point to the individual doing all the work. The individual seeking Christ. The individual finding Jesus. The individual going to the cross and making the decision. Where our text this morning says, no, God is going to do it all from start to finish. I am going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back from exile. I am going to save you. I am going to make you strong. You are going to be my people and your children. Verse 9. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with who? Their children, they shall live and return. Now God could have said, I have scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me and shall live and return. But God in verse 7 and in verse 9 mentions children. Now that should not surprise us. Because as we go back through the Old Testament, we see God dealing with families according to His covenant promises over and over again. In fact, according to the Bible, that is how God works. God works in and through families, and God makes promises to families. So I want you to think about verses 7 and verse 8 and verse 9, and I want us to look at the Heidelberg Catechism. So this is a theological catechism of our tradition. And it, in question 74, asks, should infants too be baptized? Here's the answer. Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and people. Through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit who brings about faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, infants are to be grafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision in place of which baptism was appointed in the New Testament. So God, in Zechariah chapter 10, is saying, I remember you and I remember your children. God is saying, I am the one who will save you. I am the one who will rescue you. I am the one who will redeem you. It is me from first to last. These covenant promises that I am giving to you also belong to your families. They belong to your children. This is how God works. And if we think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, 7, God makes a covenant with him. And this is very important to understand because we we live in an age where many theological traditions divide the Bible in half. The Old Testament is for Israel. The New Testament is for us. Our theological tradition says, no, it is all one message. It is all one story of redemption for all of God's people throughout all of time. And so we see in Genesis 17, 7 that the covenant that God makes 
with Abraham is eternal. It will last forever. And then Jesus replaces the sign of circumcision with baptism. But because we understand that this is eternal, we understand that as circumcision was for children, they're engrafting into the church, that they belong to God, that He has special promises for them. We understand the same thing according to baptism. That God is the one who saves them. It's up to Him. Zechariah 10 verse 8. And so we, in our tradition, we give them this covenant sign and we believe in these covenant promises. We believe that God will do this for our children. It was a beautiful thing for our family when our daughter and our son stood before the church and publicly said, yes, I believe in Jesus. And they took the Lord's Supper for the first time. It was a fulfillment of their baptism as infants when I held them up to the Lord and said, Vicky and I can't save them. And they cannot save themselves. But I believe these promises belong to my children. And I believe that the Word of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament points to them. God is the one who saves. God is the one, and I really wish I could whistle with my two fingers. I've never been able to do it. That God is the one who whistles. He brings them home. He brings them into His presence. He brings them into the lap of Jesus. He is the one that does it. That's why it's, in my mind, a beautiful theology that brings me great peace. I can't save them. They can't save themselves. But my God can. And He makes promises to me as a believer and as a father. And I rest in that. So parents who are gathered here this morning and you are in the, the race, the hectic, crazy race that is called raising children. It is tiring. It is difficult. It is burdensome. The Lord in Zechariah is reminding you amidst all of your parenting responsibilities that ultimately and really He's in control and look to Him. He will whistle and they will come home. Pray to that end and look to Him and rest in those promises. Secondly, we see the promise of protection. Verses 10 through 12. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. Now I want you to notice in verse 11 through 12 that this is hinting at the exodus that Israel experienced under Moses. There's great similarities here. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in His name, declares the Lord. 
Zechariah is prophesying to the Israelites who have returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The Israelites who are supposed to be experiencing spiritual renewal. He's telling them that there is going to be a second greater exodus. Your former enemy Egypt will be subdued. Your former enemy Assyria will be subdued. There will be peace. There will be deliverance. There will be salvation. And it will be greater than the first one that was experienced under the leadership of Moses. God is promising protection to His people as they seek to rebuild the temple. Many of their descendants were, excuse me, many of their relatives were still in exile. They were still under the threat of the, the Persians. They always feared the Egyptians. They always feared the surrounding nations. They were weak. They were militarily weak. They were unprotected. And God has called them to do a great thing amidst their enemies. They were afraid. They were fearful. And through the prophecy of Zechariah, he's saying to them, I am your God. Not only will I bring you back from exile, but I am going to protect you. Now I want you to hear the Gospel of John 16, verses 30 through 33. Gospel of John 16, beginning with verse 30. This is Jesus and His disciples. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it is come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I love this, but take heart, I have overcome the Lord. This is why we are strong and this is why we are able to walk in the name of the Lord. Because the greater exodus, the greater redemption has taken place in Jesus. Israel continued to fail God over and over again. There was no spiritual renewal. There was no proper covenant worship. There was no proper covenant obedience. They came back from exile and they failed. But God has prophesied, God has made promises that He is with His people, that they belong to Him, that He is going to restore them, and that He is going to make His name great and protect them. And in this lowly carpenter from Nazareth, God answers everything in the the Old Testament. Jesus is that greater exodus. He is the one who restores God's people. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who has overcome the world. Let that be a comfort to you as you face a new year. As you face so many difficult and challenging things in life. 
Who is going to protect me? It is the one who has said, I have overcome the world. It is Jesus. He is your refuge. He is your protector. He is your shelter. He is your friend. He has come for you in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 10. So not only do we have the promises of the covenant for our children, not only do we have the promise of protection, we also have the promise of prosperity. So we look again at verse 8. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. God is saying to the Israelites, I'm about to do something great. I'm about to do something wonderful. It's going to be a time of restoration and blessing. Verse 10. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no more room for them. That's a picture of blessing. My people will overflow. I am going to do something immensely grand in this second exodus and this redemption. So in chapter 10, we're seeing a glimpse of the coming of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. Remember, theologically speaking, Jesus comes and He establishes His kingdom on earth. But because everyone everywhere does not submit fully to His reign and rule, that means that His kingdom is not here finally. And so like the Israelites of long ago, we too are waiting and longing in anticipation for the coming of the kingdom in all its glorious fullness. Our prosperity that he's referring to has come in part. Because in Jesus we are prosperous. Remember, he is the one true Israelite who obeyed the covenant perfectly. Because of his obedience, God gives him all the blessings of the covenant. And in the here and now, He dispenses to His people some of those blessings. And then one day, we will receive all of them. And so we are rich in Jesus. He is our treasure. He is our everything. And so we do experience prosperity. Now, there are many theologies that get this wrong completely. And they will say that you are promised earthly blessing and earthly riches and health. And it's often called uh, the prosperity gospel and we believe that is 100% wrong. But we do believe in blessing and we do believe in prosperity as it is found in Jesus. 
The one who humiliated himself. The one who took the lowest position. The one who went to the cross and the one who went to the grave. The one who rose so that we can rise with him. The one who has gone before us into the throne room of heaven to prepare a place for us. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. With Jesus, we have everything. Apart from Jesus, we have nothing. In Jesus, in His name, we have everything. We are blessed because of Him. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word, which is true and reliable, which strengthens us, which helps us to see the cross of Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You for Your Word, which reminds us of Your promises, Your protection, and the prosperity that we have in Your Son. May we never doubt. May we never be afraid. May we look to Him day in and day out for hope and peace and love, and mercy. It's in His name we pray. Amen.